0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor, Matt Myers. It is our first show in a couple of weeks, and let us explain why. We have for a while thought it might be time to do a little rebranding on the show, a new name, get some new voices on here. We've been kicking this around for months, actually. And then as the baseball labor situation ground to a halt, and as far more important things in the world uh, came to light, it really felt like a good time to take a pause And we had kind of intended to do that and then relaunch the show maybe in July or when we got closer to a potential opening day. And we still plan to do that. But since we do have good baseball news, which was in the last couple of days, um, you know, an agreement to start the season, we figured it was time to at least do a quick show before we did the whole rebrand. And we should at least point out, we don't know how the season or spring training or anything leading up to it is going to go. The coronavirus is still a huge problem in a lot of places. Uh, we hope for the best. We fear the worst. And I think all we can do right now is dig into some baseball and try to analyze what we know, because if the season you know, runs through its full 60 games, it's going to be weird. I know some people don't like weird. I'm here for the chaos of weird baseball. And this is going to be the weirdest baseball anybody can see. Um, so, Matt, if you're out there, I, where do you start? Like, I, I think people see like a 60 game season. And feel like maybe it's not legitimate. Like I've had people tweet at me saying, well, if my team wins the World Series, I won't count it. And to that, I say, I I would like you to check back with me in October. If your team is celebrating, are you going to pretend that you didn't care? Because I still feel like even if it's not the season we may have wanted, if we are able to have a season this year, anything that you may disagree with about baseball rules means things have gone phenomenally. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Yes. And also I mean I think Will Will Leach wrote about this in a piece com today um looking back at the 1981 season which in like 1981 is sort of like the closest comparison um to to this year for those who do, who who aren't familiar it was it was interrupted by a player strike there was a, a 50 game a 50 day pause to the season so um they basically ended up splitting up the season into two halves where like they they the, the first half ended on you know june 12th i want to say so basically they decided whoever was in the first place on june 12th got to be in the playoffs, and they played a the second half and whoever won the second half also got to go to the playoffs um and it was like a weird thing and then but you ended up with the dodgers and yankees in the world series and like basically his point was if you didn't really live through it if you if you didn't live through it or were like too young to really be aware you look back and nothing about it seems illegitimate right it's just like oh the dodgers won the world series like no one really talks about the fact, for example, what's kind of crazy in retrospect is that the Cardinals and Reds both had the best record overall in their respective divisions that year, but neither made the playoffs because they didn't win either one of the two halves. But like, it's not like this like huge controversy. It's like, Oh, that was just the way the season went. And you know, the Dodgers won the world series, like, and the Dodgers are the 1981 world series champions. And I kind of think that that's kind of, you know, now it just seems kind of weird, but um, as time goes on, it'll just be that was like the way it was that year and so be it. Yeah, I was born about six weeks before the World Series that year. So
1: I can confirm that I do not remember it. Uh, but it's it's interesting. People have tried to put some math into you know when does a season matter, right? I think before we get into that too far, uh people forget that 162, 162 games is not this number that was like handed down from the heavens. That's kind of arbitrary in its own way. Like if you really want to get uh, to a really full accounting of a team's true talent, you probably need more than that. Uh, but I read a couple of interesting things. 538 ran a study today, and what they found was over 162 games, the quote-unquote best team has 22% odds of winning the World Series. Over 60 over 60 games, the best team has 15% odds, which makes sense. It's, it's down a little, um, but not a ton. Eno Saris did this at The Athletic, and he was relating current win winning percentage, like in-season on a particular day, to the end-of-season winning percentage. And what he wrote was, there's a ton of information gained up until around 60, and what we learn afterwards increases at a lesser pace. At 48 games, the team's current win percentage describes 61% of its end-of-season record, and at 89 games, that jumps up to 81%. So while I think you're going to find some weird outliers, like obviously everyone's going to go towards the 2019 Washington Nationals, who were terrible for the first two months, if you look back, and like I looked back at last season, The best teams after 60 games last year, most wins, Dodgers, Astros, Twins, Yankees, and the worst teams, Orioles, Royals, uh, Toronto, and Detroit. That all sounds about right. Now, it's the middle that's just going to be a total mess here, right? Like, you could see, I don't know, who are these kind of middle-ish competitive teams? Phillies, Cardinals, Cubs, like all of those kind of teams in one giant blob. And since we're going to maintain the same postseason format we've had in, in years past, does this not guarantee at least one playoff game, like a, a tiebreaker game. Even that, I don't even know how that would work. I don't know if you would travel a team for one game or if you try to do something else, but I would be shocked if this doesn't end up um, with some sort of insanity. And as I've said before, that's, that's a good thing. You should not go into this year expecting regular baseball. You should be expecting weird baseball. So what I wanted to know was who who wins out in this? I mean, we know the schedule's different, like right, 60 games. It's going to be made up of 40 games against the other four opponents in your division. That's 10 games apiece. And then the remaining 20 games will be against the five Interleague Division opponents. So, for example, the Mets will play the rest of the NL East and they will play all of the AL East. They will not play the NL Central or the AL Central or either of the Western Divisions. Uh, we don't yet know exactly how the Interleague Division opponents will break down the 20 games there, but it's going to be, you know, four, five, or six a piece. So, what I did was I went and I found the schedule breakdown from the original 162. And I I got all these from the FanGraphs projections and I compared them to what the strength of schedule would have been originally. And then I replaced that with the, the new strength of schedule. And you know, these aren't huge differences here. It's like, you know, (laughs) 0.008 winning percentage over the course of the year, which is like a win and a half. It's not nothing. And what I was not at all surprised to find is that the central team's will all benefit from this because uh, the American League Central, the bottom of it, is pretty weak. So, for example, if you were to take the Brewers, the Brewers and the Reds I think really benefit because um, they get to play the Tigers who aren't going to be very good and the Royals who aren't going to be very good and they don't have to play the Dodgers or the National League East anymore. You know, it's funny if you think about the, the Twins, for example, um, and then you think about the bottom three teams in the AL Central. I know the White Sox are going to be decent, but they're not going to be great. They originally would have played those three teams, I think, about 35% of the time, and now 50% of their schedule is going to be against those teams. It's not going to make or break anyone's season, but it is interesting to see, like, there are real meaningful differences here, and if you are a team in the Central, you are probably pretty stoked. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm sorry to say the team that gets hurt the most here, the Orioles, I'm sorry, Baltimore, they did not need a tougher road, and uh, now they have one. They have to play a greater share of their season against the Yankees. Red Sox and Rays, and obviously they can't play themselves. So I don't think this is going to change the playoffs entirely, but it's it's fun, right? It's different than what we thought it might be, and that is something I think to watch uh, going forward. here.
2: And, and don't do not sleep on the White Sox. You know, on on uh, on uh, you know on on graphs, they did uh, Dan Zimforsky did his um, Zips projection. So he projected the standings for a sixty game season, and he compared it to what the projections were back when he ran them. Um, back in February and the team, because of obviously the, the, the you know, the variance uh, is, is increased in a short season, but the team that sees the greatest increase in, in both its uh, playoff odds and it's uh, world series champ winning odds is the White Sox. Um, so that kind of speaks to their, you know, we, we, we talked about them a lot in our offseason podcast podcasts about them being kind of a, um, a team with a, a, a very high, you know, a very you know maybe not feaster famine team but one of the more high variance teams and, and and uh they are definitely uh very well positioned to take advantage in a uh in a sixty game season that is one team that I am like really I said this in the off season I'm really excited to 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 watch.
1: Uh for me I think it's it's the Rays. Now nobody who knows me would be surprised to know that I'm always interested in the Rays, but can you think of a team like over a short season that is better built to make some noise than a team with that pitching staff over a full season maybe they're not as deep as the yankees especially the lineup but if you think you're not going to have starting pitchers going deep into a game and you just need an endless amount of pitchers to throw other than the dodgers are you thinking anyone can do that better than the rays because I, I think no i think that they're going to be really well set up for this
2: and with their bench and like having you know tons of platoon options and players who can mix and match in different spots and you know just to keep just also just to keep um um, you know, it's it's kind of a sixty game sprint and it's got you know, players maybe not be able to hit the ground running. So while they will have you know, they'll probably be um excited to play and, and you know, ready to kind of go all out from day one, you know, depth is gonna be kind of important in a different way than it is over a hundred and sixty-two game season of just making sure that players stay healthy and don't kind of like overexert themselves trying to um, you know, squeeze every ounce of uh every ounce of their ability out in the short season. So I think that yeah, the 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 rays the Rays, uh, certainly, but they, then again, another team similar to the the White Sox, another team that people are, are excited to watch is the Blue Jays, you know, very similar, like, young team with a lot of players with breakout potential. So um, if I'm looking at the AL East and I'm looking at, like, oh, who's a team that could, like, maybe surprise and maybe not take overtake the Yankees, but then again, over 60 games, who knows? I mean, um, we had a, a piece on our site looking at what the playoffs would have looked like after 60 games since we went to two wild cards in 2012. Now, we know since in those, um, the Dodgers have won seven division titles in that time. But if you ended the season after 60 games, they only would have won three. So, like, if you think of it that way, like, you know, the Yankees are 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 pretty vulnerable just because of, like, hey, smaller sample size. In fact, when, when looking at the Zimborski Zips, Zips projections, no team had a bigger drop in playoff odds and the Yankees, because over 162 games, they're nearly they're they were basically considered a lock, and now they're kind of like, well, you know, 60 games. You've got the the Rays who are very good. You've got the Blue Jays who could be surprisingly good, and you know, let's see what happens.
1: Yeah, the the biggest advantage I think the Yankees have had is depth. And we saw this, and we talked about this a million times last year, right? Everybody gets hurt, and Talkman comes up, and Urshela, and all of these guys, and that matters a little bit over a short season. I actually, I like what you said about the Blue Jays because. Their biggest problem last year was their starting rotation, not being healthy. And I do not feel confident that anybody can really keep uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Matt Shoemaker and Nate Pearson all healthy together at the same time over six months. But over 60 days, maybe, right? And if you can do that, then suddenly that's very good. Um, and it, it's it's going to be kind of fun to see how that works out. You know, we know the rosters, uh, it was supposed to be 26 for this year, and it will be eventually, it will start out 30 players for the first two weeks. Uh, 28 players for the two weeks after that and then 26 for the remainder of the season and then there's a 30 player taxi squad so there's actually a couple of interesting deadlines coming up in the next few days we are recording this at about five o'clock eastern on wednesday the 24th the transaction freeze uh, comes up on friday afternoon so it would not surprise me if there's actual moves on friday
2: before the camp start and then the The week's gonna sign somewhere right
1: i mean i hope so the giants have been rumored i've been saying for like three years that maybe uh the the rockies should be after him and you know we know that that unfortunately charlie blackman uh, tested positive for COVID, so maybe that offers more room i will be disappointed if nobody signs puig he reportedly had been offered a contract from one of the korean teams and he turned it down because he wanted to play in the majors this year i will be sad if we have a season um without yasiel puig and then uh, the other deadline is the the 60-man rosters. So that's 30 active players, 30 members of the taxi squad will be due at 3 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. And I think that is going to be a really interesting thing to see because while there's no official word on this yet, it seems pretty unlikely we're going to have much of a minor league season this year. And if you have a top prospect, uh, like a Wander Franco or even a guy who was drafted uh, just a couple weeks ago and you don't want him to miss the entire season, you're probably going to throw him on the taxi squad. And that puts him like a heartbeat away from being in the majors. Like, I think that's going to be really fun. I want to, I want to see if any of the guys just got drafted, will make it directly to the big leagues without any minor league time. I want to see if a top prospect you wouldn't have thought would make it up this year. will make it to the majors. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I I feel like it, it should like, will the tigers go nuts and start with the rotation of, Casey Mize and Matt Manning with Torkelson like in the infield, probably not. Um, but if like the Tigers have no shot of winning over 162 games, do they have a shot over two months if it gets weird? Sure,
2: go for it. Like now or never, man. Right. I, th- I mean, that's I mean that's 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 part of fun. I think that's, that's and that's like kind of what's what will be tempting for for. Um... For GMs, if you know you see a team and it's like, oh we got we we got you know, to think of last year, you know, the the Mariners got off to what a thirteen and two start? Was that last year or the year before I can't even remember? They have done they've gotten off to a good start each of the last two years. And then it's you know they fell off but like you get in, so they're like, Okay, well we also have you know, if you if you get off to that hot start and you're like, Oh well, we've got these prospects we could bring up and like maybe we can do this, like why why not? You know, I I do think that um you know the flag will still fly forever as as, as they say. So um, that could be really exciting. We might see top prospects debut sooner than we would have otherwise expected. Um, I also think that, you know, with the roster deadline, we might suddenly see like a, a bunch of um, interesting sort of 4A, like NRI types, you know, become available. Um, maybe if they, you know, if they have opt-outs and they see options that they might have, oh, I can make I could crack that team's, 30-man roster for opening day, but not the team I'm with now. So I'm going to try and I'm going to leave now and, and sign there. And then maybe they could think they could stick for the full season. So there's a lot of, um, there could be a lot of interesting roster, roster machinations over the, over the next month um, with, with prospects and with kind of these fringe, you know, four a guys who you, you, you've heard of, who could be, who could end up being uh, impact players, especially in a 60 game season.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, we know that this is going to be weird baseball for two solid months, and I don't know that it gets weirder for a lot of people than the fact that the National League will have a DH. Now, I've long been on the record as simply not caring. I know this is like, you know, akin to religious blasphemy for some people for the National League to have the DH. I I have simply never cared that much. I will take it. I will leave it. I don't care that much. uh, But it makes a whole lot of sense to me to have it this year because, um, for a lot of reasons, obviously, you know, pitchers have enough of a, a trouble getting tuned up for a, sh- a short season as it is. You don't want them to hit and get hurt, but also it's likely we're going to have a lot more, what more once interleague games and you don't want to have different rules. So I have no problem with this. This is definitely going to happen. Uh, do you care? I forgot to ask you. Do you, uh, most people really
2: care about this. Do you care? I was as a, as a youth um, I was a hardcore anti DH, you know, real, real National League fan all, all through and through love a good double switch. Um, but i have come around um i think just you know pitchers are just such bad hitters i think it's ba- it's just a, it's bad pro- i think it's like a, a bad product like watching a pitcher hit is just it's it's not entertaining you know and for every time and once in a while they'll hit a home run but most often it's just like hapless flailing um so i'm i think this is i i hope that this ends up being the norm and that it sticks and um uh, i think that i'm I'm, ex- I'm excited for for, for the DH in the national league. You know, it's just, there's also a lot of like really good players who we'll get to see more of now because they're there, there is, there is a DH.
1: Yeah. The way I think about it is I go to Nelson Cruz, who is what? 39, 40 years old without the DH. He probably doesn't play in baseball. Obviously he's not been in the national league in in a million years. And I like Nelson Cruz, you know, I, I like that he can still play and still crush the ball and pitchers. Uh, It's, You're right. It's fun when Bartolo Colon hits his homer and Baumgartner hits homers. But pitchers last year had a 44% strikeout rate that uh, they hit combined 128, 159, 163. And I found this really interesting. I was reading this study from a couple weeks ago at Baseball Perspectives from uh, Lucas Apostolaris. And uh, what he wrote is that not only can pitchers not hit, there's increasing evidence that they are awful bunters. They can't even bunt. It's basically a coin flip as to whether or not a pitcher bunt attempt will even be hit into fair territory. And I'm quoting him here, despite the fact that pitchers add such a little value when they swing the bat, it's still on average, a more detrimental outcome for them to bunt. So they can't hit, they can't bunt. I agree with you. I I understand why people don't like this idea, but it's almost unfair to these guys to ask them to swing. Um, They don't swing in the minors. A lot of them don't swing in, in, high school or college and you ask them to come up and hit some of the nastiest stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. And I guess, even though I said, I don't care, I'm really talking myself into it right now as we're
2: speaking. <laughs> well, that's, 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 that, I think that's actually what, what why I came around it. You mentioned that the minor leagues is basically like there's a DH at basically every level of college baseball, there's DH, there's DH at every level of minors until double A. So at that point, pitchers only in nationally, pitchers will only hit in double A and triple A in games played in NL affiliates. So it's like they basically get like, you know, the you know good pitching prospects will get literally like 50 pro plate appearances before they get to the majors. So it's like if like we're going to set up a system where like we're not even trying to make them any good at this, like it's it's a miracle they ever make. I mean, frankly, it's kind of a miracle they, they ever make contact. Yeah. I know. Considering how hard it is, hard it is to, uh, to hit a baseball. Anyway, and as it is, there's a lot of teams with interesting um, – DH situations, you know, our our folks on our research staff did a, did a piece where they could basically do like a draft of the 15 NL teams um, based on their DH situations, like who has the best DH situations, the Dodgers and Nats went one, two. Um, I kind of think the Reds um, might be, I mean, the Dodgers are so deep, so I was like, they're they're not a bad choice, but like, I look at the Reds and, you know, they were kind of built in a, a messy way this offseason, people were kind of like, oh, this is kind of, you know, they, they added Castanos, they added, they added Mike Mastakis, Um and it was kind of like, well, how are they going to play all these guys? Well, now this, like, plays right into their hands. In fact, their their GM today was quoted as saying, we built this team to have a DH. <laughs> so, knew um, what was what, what's So what's, what's your take on the, the best DH situation in the NL? Well, I, I would say the Dodgers, right?
1: When you have – when you have more hitters than you know what to do with, you know, like I'm trying to think of Dave Roberts filling out a lineup card and going, Oh no, I guess I'll have to hit AJ Pollock or Jock Peterson today. Whoa is me. You know, like they're not going to have just um, one guy. I like what you said about the Reds. My only concern with them is I don't think they're going to do what they should do, which is to never let Nick Castellanos field again, because I don't think he wants that. So I think they might end up with a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, Dodgers esque mixed thing, you know, Jesse Winker could make sense. Um, the Mets, I think, are a really interesting one to me because, yeah, they are maybe divisive, I guess, the way I would say. Because you look at the Mets and they've got two good young first basemen, right? And Pete Alonzo obviously is going to hold that job for as long as he wants to. And Dom Smith is not really much of an outfielder, so you'd think to yourself, okay, well, that's that's perfect, you know, maybe Dom Smith, you know, he should actually probably be the first baseman with Alonzo DHing. I don't think that's how it'll happen. Uh, and yet the projections actually really disagree. If you were to break down the projections, they don't really think much of Dom Smith at all, which I guess is fair. He's got a little short track record. Uh, but I, I just like the options they have there, right? Those two guys, J.D. Davis, you know, I've always been a big fan of Izzy He hits the ball hard. His stack metrics are great. He's not much of an outfielder. Ioannis Cespedes is floating out there somewhere. You can't ever count on that. And I saw a really funny tweet today, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who said it, that it's not truly baseball season until the Mets announced that there's no timetable for Jed Lowry's return. So he's an option in there uh, as well. And then, you know, you get to the bottom of the list, like yeah, the Cardinals, it's great because, you know, Tommy Edmond can play more and Tyler O'Neill can play more. But then you get to the bottom. Um, some of the teams just don't have enough hitters. The Marlins do not have enough hitters as it is. The Giants and the Pirates and the Rockies do not have enough hitters as it is. So I really think that, This is going to um, be pretty advantageous for the the top teams here, and it's going to hurt the bottom teams a lot. Um, The other team that stands out to me, not even because of offense, because I have no idea if he's going to hit or not. I don't think Marcelo Zuna is capable of playing the field anymore. Uh, I think he just simply cannot throw. I don't think he can field. He is a perfect DH if he can hit. And I don't think that's what the plan was, but it actually works out well because I love Adam Duvall. I know you do as well. He can be a much better outfielder. Uh, This might benefit the Braves a lot.
2: Totally. Um, I think that it's you know, Asun is sort of similar to to um, to Cespedes, who you mentioned, who's like kind of unrosterable in an NL team at this point in the traditional NL team. So like the DH, like okay, he actually you know you don't feel bad about carrying him anymore. And so it's um, you know they're, they're, those guys are in a in a in a similar boat. Um, so I'm I'm excited for the DH. I, I kind of hope it's here to stay. Frankly, uh, I can't my my like you know like. 15-year-old me is like gasping, you know, like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. But uh... <laughs> but it, the argument against it,
1: it, it's everybody's like, oh, well, it's strategy, right? You're, you're taking away strategy. I, I don't think that's true. Like, is there strategy to saying, okay, well, pitcher on the eight hitter and pitcher sacrifice bunts? You know, that's not strategy to me. I actually like this better because now instead of taking out the pitcher because of his lineup spot, you're taking out the pitcher based on whether he's still effective or not. I think that's it's different strategy at least it's not less strategy
2: totally could not agree more um the other big rule change right is the um extra inning which i think is just going to be temporary uh for 2020 which yeah. is that starting in the 10th inning there will be a runner each team this has like been in the minor leagues for a couple of years each team will start with a runner on second base to just basically just try and expedite the the process and and get get runs scored to uh to, uh, to to fin- to finish finish up the game uh, quickly to, pro- to to prevent really long games. What's your what's your take on this?
1: Well, I, I can tell you, um, even beyond the NLDH, people hate this rule because it's so you've never seen it right with the DH. You've seen it in the American League. That's fine. And I, to be honest, I didn't love it at first either. Um, but I'm I'm coming around to the idea, and this is partially because uh, this has been in the minors for the last few years. Well, let me take a step back here for a second. This this season we do not need 19. Twenty twenty one in inning games, you know, you, the way that the, the world is going to be the way that this season is going to be, uh, you need to have these games have something of an end point. So I'm fine with this. I'm, I'm fine with, I was actually fine with ties. I know that would have been bandied around as well. I would have been fine with a tie. I don't care about, you know, uh, moving games along more quickly. I do care about games that don't go five or six hours right now. So for this season, I'm fine with it. I don't know if I want to see it long-term, but I do like the idea that we'll get to see it. Uh, in this, this season and see what happens. Uh, worth noting, by the way, not in the playoffs this year, they will be regular extra inning games in the playoffs. I think that's a big deal. Um, one of the things I saw that sort of turned me around to wanting to give this chance is since it's been in the minors, I saw a bunch of minor league broadcasters kind of tweeting about their experience with it. And, you know, they kind of seemed like they were in favor of it. I mean, it, the, the thing that makes extra innings drag to me is when nothing happens for four or five or six innings. you know, my concern here is uh, whether it's going to turn into bunt ball, you know, so if you have a runner on second, and nobody out, are you immediately going to start dropping down a sack punt to try to make it a runner on third, and one out, and then is it going to be from the other side, intentional walk ball, you know, are you walking the guy immediately to get to uh, runners on first and second and no outs and set up the double flight, because I don't, I, those are strategic choices, there, there's, reasons to do or not do any of those things. I just don't want to see that every single time. Um, I looked into some of the numbers here. So last year in the majors, and I, you know, I didn't you know, just look at the ninth or 10th or extra innings. This is across all innings. So fine, this isn't perfect, but it does quickly. Uh, when there are no outs and a runner on second, at least one run scores 60.7% of the time. When there is one out and a runner on third, which is what you would get after a successful sack bunt at least one run scores 64.9% of the time. So you would read that and think to yourself, well, I should do that. Uh, But remember, that's a little misleading. It assumes a successful sacrifice, button, which does not always happen. You can screw that up very easily. Uh, I I really, you know, kind of going back to, does it make sense? JJ Cooper from Baseball America tweeted this out. 45% of games were resolved after one extra inning uh, in the final two years before the rule. And 73% were resolved after one extra inning with the new rule. And I think for this year, as I've said, if the worst thing about baseball this year is a rule in the extra innings you hate, great, wonderful. Things have gone uh, super well. You know, uh, that's kind of the way I'm thinking about it right now. And then the other thing I wanted to point out, and I would be interested to see if anybody tries this, is what I'm calling the Billy Hamilton maneuver. So the way this works is that the designated runner... Will be the player, the hitter who made the last out in the previous inning, unless that happens to be a pitcher. So if you have Billy Hamilton up with nobody on and two strikes, now Billy Hamilton, we all know is not a very good hitter, but if you were to look at his career, after two strikes, he's a 234 on base percentage. So 23% of the time he'll get on base. I'm actually saying lower than that because that's all the time. And in this situation, he's probably facing a very good reliever. So let's call it, you know, 15 to 20% of the time he'll get on, and then you still have to try to score him. Will you just send in the please whiff sign so that he will start the next season on second base and make it incredibly likely he can score on a single? I know this is like twelfth dimensional chess here, um, but would you consider that if you were a manager?
2: I guess, but like you know, it's almost like you don't even need to send it the signal because he's probably going to make it out anyway. So oh, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you just said it yourself. You just said it, you know, like on O2 count. So my guess is it probably won't be uh, much of a much of a factor, but th- you know. I mean, certainly, when the season begins with a thirty-man roster, you're going to see you're going to see speedsters on like that first like expanded thirty-man roster. The question is if like when we get down to twenty-six, if teams are still going to keep you know sort of a, a, a designated runner type um, on the roster more so than, than they normally would, kind of for this purpose because you, you could you could directly pinch, pinch run them uh, in that situation if you had a Billy Hamilton on the bench for extra innings and like just how valuable valuable is that is that player.
1: Yeah, I, I do wonder um, when you have a 30-man roster to start and you have to assume starting pitchers are not going more than three or four innings, right? Is this a 17-man pitching staff? I guess I don't know if they're going to make rules to to do that, like how many pitchers you're allowed to have. That was originally supposed to happen this year. I'm not, I'm not clear on if that's going to happen this year as well, but there are going to be a lot of pitchers. You know, it would be kind of fun to... Um, I guess I don't even have to guess at this because we'll know the answer to this by Sunday. Once we get the 60-man... Uh, lists What we should do is go see which team has the best secondary team like which team has the best taxi squad and would the dodgers taxi squad of like their next 30 still win like 85 games over a regular season because i bet you they have a lot of guys who you know ross stripling's their number eight starter he probably would have started opening day for the angels if that trade went through, <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, Uh, Some other things to keep in mind. So I know this seems like 36 years ago, but the three batter minimum for pitchers uh, is still around. I don't think that's going to actually happen in spring training, but during the season, um, that's still true. An interesting wrinkle I didn't realize until the other day, I got this note from ESPN's rule analyst, Rich Mirazi. If the pitcher faces one or two batters and ends the inning, he can be replaced. Everybody knows that it's three batters or the end of an inning. However, if he faces one batter, ends the inning, comes back the next inning and faces a second batter. You can't replace him until he faces the third batter because you've basically forfeited your but he ended the inning right when you chose to bring him back. I didn't realize that and I'm glad I I learned that so. That makes thank sense. Thank you, Rich.
2: Rich Marazzi. Um we've talked about this rule on this podcast for I'm excited for this rule. To me it is to me it's a really interesting strategy so um uh I'm I'm uh, I'm all in on it. The other thing that's kind of a uh, you know kind of wild um is thinking about all the players that were going to miss opening day who are now like the original opening day who are now like back after three months. I like had totally, as I mentioned this to you earlier today on Slack, like I had totally forgotten about that weird Eugenio Suarez injury. because The pool? (laughs) Two lifetimes ago. Um, But he's back, you know, he's scheduled to be back and like, there's plenty of other even like bigger names who are now scheduled to be back for opening day. Like, you know, Justin Verlander and Giancarlo Stanton. So um, among many, many, many other big names. So that's, kind of cool i mean i obviously, obviously probably in 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 summer camp or whatever they're going to be calling it um they should call it summer camp <laughs> other ingredients will probably arise but the idea of like seeing um seeing some of these names who are going to miss opening day who are now be ready is is it's pretty cool there's some guys i forgot had gotten hurt at all yeah yeah the verlander one is the one
1: that stands out to me because the astros as strong as they're, they're still going to be that starting rotation looked kind of thin, you know, so now it sounds like he might be ready to go. Uh, what you're referring to is, is Matt Kelly, one of our researchers, came up with this list of 25 guys, you know, Stanton, Verlander, Otani, uh, James Paxson is a good one. But um, what I realized is I was looking down this list, you know, he, he came up with a really good list. Like Rich Hill is a great one, right? He figured he was going to miss half the season and maybe that won't be a problem anymore. Do you know who I didn't see on this list? Who? Aaron Judge. And that's not because Matt missed Aaron Judge. It's because as far as I'm aware, there is still no real information about that rib that seems like it's been bothering him for forever. You know, like, do we do we know anything about that?
2: I I was just it's been very like the information has been very, very vague. Um, So um, I think if um, if there was certainty, the Yankees would be like crowing about there being certainty. So my guess is that probably not doesn't mean he won't be wasn't he, he won't be ready but um you know it's not uh it's not clear
1: yeah and you know really the other thing about that is because the season is so short and an injury that may have cost you a couple weeks on the injured list last year may end your season now you know if you have uh let's say an oblique strain and maybe that costs you two months right that's the entire season uh, so that i think that's going to be something to watch you know guys who are getting hurt and that kind of finishes them for the entire year. Like I said, everything here is going to be weird. There's going to be a trade deadline. It's going to be August 31st. Uh, uh, I'm not sure, you know, I love making guys move to new cities in the middle of this, but you know, obviously teams are going to lose guys to injury and they're going to need to patch things up. You have to be on the roster by September 15th. If you're going to be postseason eligible, it is kind of funny with like a shortened season that, you know, usually the trade deadline is what two thirds of the way through the season. And now this will be, you know, you're joining a new team like a month before the playoffs, which could be really interesting. Um, I really do think we're going to see moves like on Friday. Teams have not been able to make moves in months. And I think that's going to be exciting. And then the season will start in a little over a month from now. I mean, fingers crossed, obviously, that everything goes well. But I was really encouraged by how many players you saw on social media being excited and tweeting out gifts and just saying, I can't wait to go play. And I I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's weird. From my perspective, and you're, you know, I'm sitting here in New York City, knowing that there's going to be two spring trainings in my city, and I can't actually go see any of them in person. You
2: know, I think that's everything is
1: going to be weird, um, but I, I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic. I guess is the way I, I would put it. I
2: right? think that yeah, your point about the players is, is a good one. That sort of has been, you know, I mean, because in the grand scheme of things, they're the ones who kind of put themselves at the at, at most risk, and it's it's been interesting to see them be so excited uh to about playing i've sort of been you know i wasn't sure how the reaction was going to be but it's been pretty positive which i guess is kind of cool to see that's what you want to see um and you know as a uh, mike said at the start of the podcast we'll hope for the best you know i think that um anyone who anyone who's listening to this podcast uh loves baseball so i think you know while we all may have some some you know certain like feelings of you know some questions about how this is all gonna play out. There's definitely excitement to see to see games again and hopefully enjoy enjoy what 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 could and, and will hopefully be a really uh exciting season.
1: Yeah and, and we should say there are going to be some players who choose not to participate. We're already seeing that in the NBA, you know, whether it's because of their own health issues or they're just they're uncomfortable with it. Hopefully not too many, but I would almost guarantee there'll be some. And I would say we should support those decisions. You know, we have seen how many times over the years where a guy misses a couple of games to go be there for the birth of his child uh, and goobers give him a hard time. I do not I do not want to see the social media feed of any of those players who choose not to to participate. But uh, that is a decision I would I would totally respect if they did that, because we are living in, I would like to say, like the most uncertain times, but that hardly even sums it up. But anyway, we do have baseball or at least we have plans for baseball. as we said. We are very soon going to rebrand this podcast. It hasn't been a StatCast show in a while. Uh, We're going to have some new voices. We're going to have some new fun things. And hopefully very soon, we'll have some new baseball to talk about. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate it. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Catch you soon.
0: go to getroman.com/mlb today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb. getroman.com/mlb